and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. And we're going through the, the string of Grand Prix. We got a lot going on this week. But before we get to that, before we do that. I am dying to know where you're going with this. You know, because we do know pre-show prep. Well, but before we get to that, we have something. Oh, good news. What? As requested, the podcast is now available in the Google Music play store play music store what is that it's google store for this stuff phil asked and we for, delivered he did <laughs> he put a comment and said that hey you know i don't have an apple device can you get it up over in the the google music store and it is now done <laughs> okay because that was easier than getting phil an apple device I'm, I'm sure he would gladly take an <laughs> Apple device from you if you wanted to provide him one. I don't know. Some I mean, of those Android people are, like, adamant. I mean, we might have somewhere in a box somewhere a 15-year-old iPod that requires a FireWire connection. Probably. Actually, I can almost guarantee you that we have a history of ancient iPods around here somewhere. Well, we had gotten rid of a lot of them. So, I, you know, I don't think we've got all of them anymore. Anyway, we are now on some sort of Google site. Go us! <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it, it's just one more way that you can get the podcast, you know. It, We're opening up to new markets is what you're telling but, me. But always an option, no matter what device you use. Even if you don't have an Apple device, you can always find us on Stitcher. Because Stitcher do, is available on both Apple and Android, and I believe on Windows mobile devices for the three people who still has, have a Windows mobile device. I thought Microsoft abandoned their Windows mobile. They did. But people have not abandoned their Windows you know, mobile it, devices? It, it takes time for people to go and you know replace devices and upgrade and... Then again, with a Windows mobile device, they may have thrown it through the wall by now. I don't know. <laughs> just throwing that out there. You're throwing something somewhere. Anyway, go us. Yeah. So, on to other Formula One related news. Actual Formula One related news. Oh, we're not going to talk about the cigar lighter in, in the MG that's giving me headaches? No, we were not going to talk about that adventure. Okay. I, I thought the world would appreciate not knowing what we're going through with that. But they will know at some point. Okay. Maybe when I get to lead with, I've sorted it. I've mended something. <laughs> I would like to successfully say that I have mended something. So anyway, um, this week we had uh, the uh, English Grand Prix or, or the Grand Prix of England, whatever they're calling it. Silverstone. British Grand Prix. There you go. One of those. I had, I had a. It all you had ran a moment. away. It <laughs> all ran away. But after that, starting Monday, will be the second postseason test. In which, season test. Or, or in season test. Post race test. Wow. I'll get some of these words right eventually. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to find words. <laughs> They'll be the right ones. Maybe two out of three. But, you know, hey, we'll get, we'll get there. We'll get there, I promise. I don't know where there is, but we'll get there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway. And just to remind our listening audience, you are completely sober. Yeah, that's the scary part about it. 
Okay. Last week that I turned down a drink before the podcast so that I could podcast over it. It doesn't help, but whatever. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> didn't help at all. <laughs> Perhaps you should try it. Try it sometime. Have a drink. Anyway, um, the second in-season test is supposed to happen in Silverstone this week, and uh, Sauber will not be participating. They can't afford the gas? You know, I believe that's part of it. I mean, they do say that the decision was based on quote-unquote cost effectiveness combined with also the fact that um there is a requirement that no matter which which of the days that you do your testing on whether you did it uh, or, or which of the sessions you, you do your testing and whether it was a silverson one or earlier this season or after barcelona you needed to have two of those days go to a young driver sauber doesn't have a young driver sauber also has no development bits to test on the car. Oh. Which kind of so makes their participation pointless. pointless. And, you know, they could probably spend some more time, instead of testing the car, you know, putting and, it back together. Yeah, there was that, too. They, they, they did have a, a rough weekend. Um, but this was the same reasons that they gave for missing the Barcelona test as well. Also, as a reminder... Lewis Hamilton is not taking part in any of the testing. Huh. Because, again, remember, there is that requirement that seat has to go to a young driver mm -hmm. for two of those days. Well, initially, the plan was that um, one day in, of the Barcelona testing for Mercedes was supposed to go to Nico Rosberg, and then the other day was supposed to go to Esteban Ocon. Mm -hmm. But Esteban Ocon instead got two days driving for Renault. Ah. Mercedes still needed to come up with two days for a young driver. They couldn't hand the keys to Pascal Verline because he's working for my Manor right now. Well, once you drive, I think it's three races in a season. You're not. You a don't young qualify for the young driver tests. Interesting. Yeah. So that means that uh, there's nowhere for Lewis to to drive in the testing. I believe the plan is that Ocon is going to take the, the seat. So he's going to get some time in both a Renault and a Mercedes. Interesting. That's going to be some pretty good experience if that's what happens. That would be very good experience. Interesting. So talking about development and testing and all of those various bits, um, Maurizio Arriva Bene has revealed that Ferrari – is looking ahead to their 2018 car. You mean 2017. Would you get your words right? Actually, this would be one time that what I meant was actually what I said. No. <laughs> no, I got it right. According to uh, Maurizio Arriva Bene, they are not only working on the 2017 car, but they have already started looking ahead to 2018 as well. Wow. Um Basically, uh, even though Maurizio has vowed not to give up on this season, he has revealed the team is looking two years down the road. It's only a small team that is working on a 2018 car. So this is not major development work, but I guess the assumption is that the rules are going to stay fairly stable between 2017 and 2018. Okay. And they're going to start looking at some long-term build-out pieces, especially since in terms of development time, because they dinked around so much settling on the rules, there's not as much probably development 
time as the team would like, or as any of the teams would like for that matter. It's an interesting concept to start trying to think two years ahead. I mean, obviously it was something Mercedes did when they started talking about the hybrid engines to actually do um, a really long thought out process on the development. And it's interesting that Ferrari's making the gamble that the rules are going to stay fairly constant and maybe that's going to win. We have historically said that in this 2016 season, Ferrari taking gambles have not worked out well for Ferrari. So um, this would be about my prediction that in about two weeks, they're going to declare that the hybrid engine is over and 2018 is the magic number for the whole new setup. You know, I didn't put it in our line and I meant to throw it in our lineup. Um, There has been a bit of driver news this week. You know, we were expecting this season to be really kind of crazy when it came to silly season. Well, 75% of the grid was at the end of their contracts. They were, but now we have the Red Bull seats are settled. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was one area of big movement that's not happening. The Mercedes seat, we have one that we know is settled. The other, supposedly a two-year deal has been agreed in principle but hasn't been signed. Now, who knows how this may shake out in the next couple of weeks. Well, it but also supposedly. depends on whether or not Rosberg can keep from crashing into his teammate. And, and I think that's the big thing there. And that, that's what's hinging on a lot of stuff is whether or not they can play nice with each other. And we'll get to that in a little bit. So over at Ferrari, we know Vettel's not going anywhere. So there was some thought that maybe the remaining seat could cause some movement. However, Ferrari has defied all expectations and they have extended Kimmy's contract for another year. Can I just say something? I don't understand why. Totally editorialized here. That's what we do. Kimmy, retire, please. I'm done now. Personally, just for me, I'm done. Well, when you think about it, though, this week, okay, he just signed the contract, and race weekend... He outperformed his teammate. He did, and he's not doing poorly this season. And I'm not saying that he's lost his edge or anything. I'm just done. I'm just done. I, I'm i done with all things Kimmy. I really am. Now, of an equal, you know, equally mature driver, I'm not quite done with all things Massa. So, you know, let's put it in perspective. I'm just done with all things Kimmy. I'm ready to be done. I want something new. I'd like major shift at the top teams this year. There's 75% of that grid doesn't have a contract or didn't have a contract at the start of this year for next year. We should have a silly season. We should have people moving, surprise announcements. And it just sounds like everybody's like, ah, we'll just keep the same people we've got now. Yeah, it's working. Well, there is something to be said for a level of stability. Yeah, I don't want that. (laughs) <laughs> I want fundamental change. You know what I want? I want to see Hulkenberg out of a Force India, and I'm not going to see that. You're, you're not going to see that. They've because they've decided to settle their grid. Yes. I want to see good drivers moving up. I want to see fresh new faces at Mercedes. I want to see a shakeup in the teams. I want to see... Well, we did, but we did see a shakeup at the top. Yeah, we they did mid-season. Well, but still, 
And watching how Daniel Kvyat has continued to implode. Well, we're going to see a new person at Toro Rosso. Okay. I, I can guarantee you. They've already said Carlos Sainz is sticking around. So They did, but there was an interesting rumor this week regarding Carlos. What's the rumor? The rumor was that negotiations are in place between the Red Bull organization and Renault for discounted engines. And as part of the deal for discounted engines would be a driver swap with Carlos Sainz moving to Renault. Interesting. Now, this rumor came out after we got word, like two weeks after we got word that Carlos is staying with Toro Rosso for another year. Mm -hmm. And Carlos came out and said, you know, it's nice that these kind of conversations, these rumors are flying around me, but seriously, a trade for an engine? I'm not property here. (laughs) What's the deal? (laughs) But wait a minute. This is really kind of ridiculous. Let's think about this for a minute. The current engine specs say that those engines go for 15 to 20 million euros a, an engine, correct? Mm-hmm. And you get five of them in a season. So let's just say that you only use the five in your season. It's 100 million euros. Mm-hmm. That's what they're saying Carlos is worth. <laughs> Think dep- that through. <laughs> not free engines discounted engine. Well, it depends on what the discount is. See. I mean, think about that. Okay, so you got 100, 100 million euros, and if you discount it 50%, well, then, okay, he's only worth 50 million euros. You, you, Franz Toast is going, no, no, no. I, I keep Carlos. <laughs> Kvyat's yours, man. <laughs> <laughs> you want him, he's yours. I'll pay, <laughs> I'll pay 110 Carlos million euros. Carlos is going nowhere. <laughs> I'll pay 110 million euros for those five engines if you take Kvyat. <laughs> <laughs> and the question is, who would they swap? Would they take Palmer? Well, you got to think knowing Red Bull and the way they have brought drivers through the They'd system. They'd be pulling somebody from the young driver program. That it would be Palmer so, as opposed to Magnussen, who's on his second season. Right. But I don't know. I mean, Magnussen's well, still a, a fairly young driver. Right. Who knows what's going on with Team Banana? I mean, seriously. Yeah. You, you, you got to think that they rode off this season by, like, oh, race two. Well, I think they did, and I think that their problem is not the engine. I mean, obviously the engine can put power down. It's the same engine Red Bull's running. Mm-hmm. So they can get the power down. So they've obviously got an aero problem. They've got a car problem. Well, again, you, you need to remember this was a car that was built and designed for a Mercedes engine. Mm-hmm. For two years out, the plan was a Mercedes engine that they had to retrofit at the last minute that Renault engine. It right. was never designed to not just to physically accommodate it, but also the, to take advantage of this, whatever strengths that Renault engine had or compensate for the weaknesses of that engine. Well, so they, they're on a back foot anyway. And with that, you know, the, the new rules are going to help a lot because they can build a car from the ground up for the new engine. Oh, yeah. So hopefully that's exactly what's happened with Team Banana is that they wrote this season off knowing that the new rules next year was where they should put all of their energy and effort. And since they've made Red Bull happy by giving them an engine that works, yeah, 
you know, they've got Christian Horner not having anything to complain about. So let's go back to last week. Do we have a Wayne's World uh, flashback or Wayback Machine? No, I don't have that. I, I, I did not bring the, the Wayback Machine for that. Okay. So, as expected, a lot of the talk last week was regarding the last lap incident and the situation at Mercedes. The how big can we make and our the, naughty step? Yeah, and, and the naughty step. Um, so, first, you know, let, let's talk about, you know, we, we had discussed a little bit uh, – um, the, the official ruling had come out by the time we had recorded regarding who was at fault for everything. And, Nico. And, yeah. Nico. There's been some more people looking at it and some more talk about it. And one of the things that us not being skilled racing drivers, we didn't completely understand. But Autosport took a look at the move that Nico pulled. Okay, that was an actual move. It was not called, I don't turn my wheel? Well, yes and no. Okay. Okay. First off, we've seen Lewis do similar moves, whether he calls it understeer or oversteer or whatever. (laughs) But we have seen Lewis make this push. And more significantly, was it a lap or two laps earlier, Verstappen did the same thing to Nico. Okay. And successfully pulled it off. Apparently, the concept here of going wide through the turn is actually, it's a technique that's taught in karting. Okay. They they actually have a name for it. When somebody tries to pass you on the outside and you go wide, it's called feeding him grass. Makes sense. The way it's supposed to work is that um, you, the driver who, who has the corner, who is taking the inside, sees that somebody is trying to take you on the outside. You go into your, your line kind of as normal, maybe a little deeper than normal. But as you come out of the turn, you drift wider and wider, which is what we've seen Lewis do in Austin. We've seen Lewis do in Montreal and several other places, at which point you then force a confrontation and a decision point from the the driver attempting to pass. Either they need to let up and drop back or they're going to end up in the grass because they run out of road. And that makes good sense. But doesn't that work because you've actually taken the turn, that this is on the exit of the turn? That's the the big difference. What Nico tried to pull off, and I think he tried to pull it off in – uh, spa as well a couple of years ago in that infamous crash is that Nico tried to pull it off at the entrance to the turn instead of turning in or even turning in wide and forcing Lewis to go further around he just kept going straight mm-hmm. that would be the issue and where everybody had the problem and why regardless of what he wants to say about his braking the fact that he just kind of forgot to turn <laughs> well see I think that we called it out last week that Lewis can pull some of these really pushy maneuvers, Mm -hmm. but he pulls them and they're successful when he pulls it on Nico. They're successful. He doesn't destroy Nico's race that way. He doesn't. 
you know, it's always Nico that ends up on the back foot. Nico cannot seem to do that to, to Lewis. There's just well, not the ability. Nico, for starters, Nico doesn't seem, he doesn't pull that particular move well. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to have the instinct as to when to pull that off. You know, um, from the BBC's analysis of how this went down, he said, you know, according to the regulations and the accepted code of conduct among the drivers, Rosberg does have the right to defend, but not to leave no room at all when the other car is fully alongside. He made no attempt to make the apex at all. And we've seen this. We, mm-hmm. the, the pictures that we saw showed that there were about five car widths between Nico and the apex of the turn. I right. mean, there was no attempt at all. Um, his way of defending was to, do, was to drive straight to the outside of the track to keep Hamilton to the outside, like a block, and try to get a good acceleration out. Interestingly, on the two previous laps, Ro- Hamilton had made a later apex than Rosberg and was getting a better exit. So in reality, even if Nico had continued to, if Nico had played that the way he should have, Lewis was going into the apex later anyway, and probably could have pulled off and and stayed ahead of him. I don't think Nico would have known that or realized that or picked up on that. I think it's a good point. I mean, truth of the matter is, it was an edge of your seat. tight clinching moment in that race of watching two incredible race drivers get incredibly close to taking each other out and while yes Rosberg was limping home with a damaged Mercedes they didn't take each other out which is unlike what happened in Spain and I think there's something to be said for that I think that Nico's move deserved the penalty a hundred percent. I mean, just the picture of the fact that there were five widths of car to yeah. the apex. Lewis gave him the inside line. He totally gave him that inside line. Mm-hmm. And I loved the excuse, and this is my personal favorite. The excuse that Nico had given was, I was on the inside. It was my corner. I don't think you called dibs on corners. It, it was more than that. And this, this is a phrase that I've heard from, from Nico now two or three times this season. It was my race to win. Yeah. What the hell does that mean? And I've been wrestling with that one for the last week. What does it was my race to win mean? Does that mean that if we're in the last lap and Nico Rosberg is in the lead, everybody else should just go, okay, we're done. It's all yours, Nico. Or do you is, think is that there was some over? backroom deal that they, you know, they s- did, you know, draw races and say, yeah. okay, you win this one, you win that one. It was my race to win. No. He, he's, he said that multiple times now. You know, we heard it, I want to say it was, it was one of these other times that Nico had started the race in the lead and there was a problem and Lewis ended up passing him. And we heard from him that this was my race to win. And... I don't get this entitled attitude. Well, Lewis would tell you that that comes from growing up in Monaco and not in Stevenage. Stevenage, yeah. Now, Channel 4, Mm -hmm. in their pre-British Grand Prix coverage, did a phenomenal, like off-the-charts for the non-racer Yes. Uh, review 
of basically how did those two cars get next to each other in that last lap? How did they even get to that point? And it was amazing and it reinforced the team aspect of this sport. And I don't, I will not even begin to tell you that I know all the details or could recite all of the details. Ba- basically, and, and it was uh, their, their pit lane reporter, Karun Chanduk, who is a former but driver. Phenomenal um, analysis. Took a look at the strategies and who was on which tires and the guidance that Pirelli had given regarding how long tires should last and all of that stuff and broke it down into some clear charts of how everybody's strategies compared to each other in terms of laps that they've run and where the tire was performing. And it made a ton of sense. It was very intelligently put together. And you did not have to be a rocket scientist to understand how this whole thing shook out. But the net net of his analysis was they got to the point where they were next to each other on the last lap because of Mercedes decisions that were made in lap 20. Yeah. So when you think of a race being 70-something laps long, the decisions that get made in early laps affect everything downstream. And he went back as he wrapped the whole thing up. He said, had they not done X and whatever X was, and it was a tire choice in lap 20, I believe, um, they would not have been near each other. They wouldn't be fighting for first place 73 laps. Yeah, well, it, it was a pit stop for, for Nico and the safety car and how those had stacked that, that changed everything for them. Mm-hmm. So, moving on from that. Okay. Okay. As the boys should have done. <laughs> well, we're not going to... We're, we're just moving on, away from that weekend itself. Oh. Because as you will recall, last weekend we mentioned that there was that... The story that came out that... Lewis had said that uh, the situation be- between him and Nico, they, they worked, remember, they, they met at the swimming pool in Monaco, and they play, you know, he played with the baby, and, and, and they worked it all out, and their relationship is better than it has been. Remember that? Well, better than it has been doesn't mean a whole lot. Well, no, he, he said it, it, was, it was great. They fixed everything. It's all good. They met at the, at the pool in Monaco. And, and you, played you, with you baby. Remember that whole thing? Yeah. yeah. Well, then we had the incident. Then Nikki Lauda gave an interview to an Austrian TV show. Damn. Now, understand that what we have from the comments, from, from Nikki's comments, is a translated version because it was an Austrian show. Nikki's Austrian, so that he was speaking in Austrian. From what I hear, um, this translation might not be the most accurate, but it's the one that everybody had and everybody ran with. Some folks who actually heard the actual Austrian say that Nikki was a bit more definitive than this in his comments. Oh, no. But this is the translated comments that most most of the media, including ESPN, was, was running with. Lewis lied about this. Simple as that. He just said something. He wanted to be the softener in order to have his peace last weekend. You can rely upon it. He is not a peacemaker. The fight gets hotter the longer Nico is in front. Lauda also confirmed reports Hamilton had trashed his room after losing pole position for the Grand Prix of Europe, which had looked routine after dominating the three practice sessions. The mistake handed Rosberg the initiative, with Nico claiming pole and turning it into you know, a great uh, performance while Lewis struggled to get into fifth. Um, 
Nikki said he did it because he had crashed. He'll have to pay for the destroyed room. You can count on that. He told me I couldn't come in because he was going to destroy everything. That is how this is how it was. Interesting. So pretty clear statement from Nikki. Obviously, this statement didn't sit very well with Mercedes. You think? The next day, Mercedes came out with a statement um, saying that they wanted to, that, that Nikki wanted to set the record straight regarding his comments. Oh. In Mercedes' statement. Okay. So what Mercedes came out to say in their statement was, following his appearance on a television discussion show on service TV recorded prior to last weekend's Austrian Grand Prix, Nikki Lauda would like to set the record straight and state the following. Lewis Hamilton did not in any way damage a hotel room or his private driver room at the circuit during the race weekend in Baku. And Lewis Hamilton did not lie about his relationship with teammate Nico Rosberg. Nikki regrets any misunderstanding caused by comments that have been blown wildly out of proportion compared with the casual context in which they were made. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's back up for a second. <laughs> Let's back up for a second. I'm willing to take the hotel room out of the, the equation. Mm -hmm. You're angry. You throw a few pillows around. There's no actual. Pillows. Wait. Pillows. Wait. There's no actual destruction, but somebody walking into the room could go, what a giant mess. I'm. Uh-huh. I'm spitballing here. Just work with me. But how in 24 hours do we go from he absolutely did not have any pool time in Monaco with Rosberg and the baby to he certainly had pool time with Rosberg and the baby and all everything is hunky-dory again. How do we do that? I, I. How do we go from the room is trashed to the room was not definitely not trashed? I think it was more along the lines of somebody went, "Oh God, somebody put a muzzle on Nikki, please." I thought he wasn't Anything? allowed to talk to the press anymore. Yeah, we'll see how that stuck. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they come out and say nobody talked to to, to <laughs> Nikki because he doesn't know what he's talking about? Yeah. Excellent. And I, I think the definitive way that they refuted every single thing that Nikki said just says to me that everything that Nikki said was probably 100% right. Oh. Okay. I'm not going to say that Lewis didn't have a temper tantrum. I'm not going to say that Lewis in his own mind might have thought a reconciliation had occurred that didn't occur. I'm not going to say that, but I'm also not there. I can't comment on it. But we're racing drivers. We're a racing company. Do we really need to be talking about the antics of our drivers? Yes. Yes, we do. Okay. <laughs> so th as things developed and moved mm -hmm. along through the week, Thursday, 
mm-hmm. because they, they had to wait for tempers to calm down and people to figure out what they were going to do and how they were going to deal with the naughty step and all of that stuff because we know that Mercedes was rather upset. I mean, there's the, the desk punch that's been seen around the world now. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, Toto said point blank that he was too angry to talk about it. And, and that's why Thursday everybody got together in Brackley to have a discussion. All right. And Mercedes again released another statement. Timeout chairs for everyone. Well, let, let me read their statement. I, 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 let, let's not editorialize their statement yet. Let's yet. give the statement first, and then we can give our opinion of it. Okay. Okay. Now, again, this was released on Thursday. Mm-hmm. This morning at the headquarters of Mer- the Mercedes-AMG Patronus Formula One team in Brackley, UK, positive meetings were held between Toto Wolf, Patty Lowe, Lewis Hamilton, and Nicole Rosberg. Our drivers were informed that they remain free to race for the World Championship. We believe this is the essence of Formula One, inc- including between teammates. And I, I don't understand that, but okay. Anyway, as passionate racers, we want to see them racing, and so do the fans of Formula One. However, this freedom comes with a duty for our drivers to respect the values of the team. In the past five races, there have been three incidents which have cost us over 50 points in the Constructors' Championship. We have therefore strengthened our rules of engagement to include much greater deterrence to contact between our cars. Their destiny is in their own hands, the statement concludes. Yeah. So what does this mean? You said duty. Yeah. Well, (laughs) the theory here. Yes. We've heard the possibility of team orders. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which we were predicting last week that at least one of the pair, if they put out team orders, yeah. Would ignore it completely. Since then, yes, Nico came out and said that if team orders were issued, he would follow them. Lewis also came out and said that team orders, if if team orders were issued, he'd follow them. You're kidding, Now, what I don't know, and I believe this was at, like, the Thursday press conference. So I didn't watch the, and I don't know if it was, yeah, I'll, sure, I'll go ahead and follow it. Team War, oh, yeah, anything you guys want, I'm there. I I don't know. You know he had his hand behind his back crossing his fingers. Yeah. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. I think, frankly, and I think Mercedes has said it, that they're very hesitant to issue team orders that they like the fact that the boys can race and if they as long as they bring the cars home safely and particularly in one and two they're welcome to race what my understanding was of this statement was that there are financial penalties if they keep doing this well well, that's one of the things that there's been a lot of discussion about because if they're going to be financial and they can do financial penalties they have to be fairly significant ten thousand dollars they're gonna be like okay whatever pocket change for these boys um you're talking probably six figures um now what toto has said when asked to elaborate on this is that they have decided not to elaborate on what the new rules are in public it is like a contractual detail we are speaking about possible sporting and financial consequences and i wouldn't want to go into that detail now Lewis did say that the new rules are not insignificant. Um, Toto has said that if it happens again, it will, quote, have a negative impact on their campaign. 
Interesting. He then went on to say, this is their final warning. So when somebody went to Nico later on and told Nico what Toto's description of the situation was, Nico said, a final warning? He said that? That doesn't sound very good. (laughs) Which, again, all I've got is the text of it. But when I read that, I'm thinking, that's a pretty flip response. Yeah. There's so many things. I get Mercedes' position. Quite frankly, I very much get Mercedes' position. They are looking for the constructors. They don't have it sealed up yet. Until that happens, they have to protect the one and two as best they can. And 50 points in the constructors is not an insignificant number. Yeah. The truth is they're over 100 points away from their closest competitor in the constructor series. So the high likelihood that they're going to get the constructors this year is, I would say it's better than, Yeah. it's, it's good odds. The problem that they're facing is on one hand, they have this need for exciting racing, and when the boys race, it's exciting racing, even if they take each other out. On the other hand, that's expensive, and it costs everybody. It's not just that. It it was something that um, we heard in some of the race buildup, and the reminder this week is that this isn't just a Formula One team. This is a business. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, when the boys mix it up like this and you have the headlines like this, that is a lot of coverage for Mercedes, the team, and the sponsors and all of that stuff. And there's value in that. Oh, yeah. On the other hand, when Mercedes is making headlines for this and not winning, long term, that has more of an impact. Because when you're winning, you can sell that. Right. And it's a whole lot easier to sell, we get airtime because we win, as opposed to we get airtime because we cause drama. True. And, I mean, we have to look back at at previous rivalries, quite frankly, and start to try to weigh this against past rivalries. Is this a situation like McLaren with Alonzo and Hamilton, where there was such animosity amongst in the garage that it was, I mean, hate-filled? Are we looking well, it was at... a major scandal that part of that year, too. Right. That didn't help. Mm-hmm. Are we looking at a Senna Prost level? Are we looking at a Hunt Lauda? I mean, what kind of rivalry are we really looking at? What will, what will history say about this? Which then also ties into Nico and his career decisions at this point. Right. And the, the real big challenge now, based on the news that we've already gotten, if you're Nico Rosberg and you're looking at this situation and you're going, you know, every time I go up against Lewis in this team, no matter, even when I'm leading in the championship, I come out the loser. Yep. No matter how it, what the reality is there, the public image that comes out is I come out the loser and I am never going to be in that situation. Even when I turn around and win six races in a row that it's the, 
yay for Nico. Mm -hmm. And Nico gets the benefit of the doubt. So then it's time to move on. But at this point, even and, and he's at a point where he could move on because he's in a, these contract negotiations. Where do you go? Well, that's the problem that Nico has boxed has got he's boxed in. Mm -hmm. The other two truly top teams have sealed their driver lineups. Well, even if they didn't, Red Bull's I, I not taking. I got to believe that Red Bull is not an option. Period. The end for anybody who's not in their program. Right. So that one, sealed or not sealed, isn't mm -hmm. a, a deal. Ferrari, which would have been the most logical choice mm -hmm. for Nico to go to, go to Ferrari, compete with Ferrari, uh, Ferrari against Mercedes. The problem with him going to Ferrari is Vettel. He's still taking a number two driver slot. And he would have to be willing to accept that. And that's the problem that I think Nico is really struggling with. Psychologically, mm -hmm. I think that he is struggling with the fact that he is a phenomenally technically good driver and yet he is a second driver in a way now this is this is a, an out there one in a way i wonder if he wouldn't be better going to williams well that's what i was going to say that that's at this point his last option mm -hmm. for a a top promising team i want to say top performing team is Williams, and he's been to Williams. He started with Williams. Right. So that could be an interesting lineup if you think about that. If you li listen to the rumors, possibly a Button-Rosberg lineup at Williams. Well, where would Botas go? Massa would retire, but where would Botas go? I, I kind of wonder if— Because Claire's a little sweet on Botas. Yeah, but his performance has has been une almost as uneven as the cars. Mm -hmm. And and I, I got to think that Williams may be looking for a change at this point. Now, would they go with two veteran drivers? I don't know. I don't know. Because that that's would the, be an that's interesting the combination. It would be an interesting combination. A, a button Rossberg combination. Now, to get back to some other driver stuff. Yes. We heard rumors. <laughs> we heard rumors that um, Sergio Perez had a deal with Force India. Yes. And we heard rumors that uh, Sergio Perez was being sniffed around as a possible replacement for Kimi Raikkonen. Right. Well... VJ Malia came out of hiding this week. Yes, he was actually at the British Grand Prix. He was at the race, but he came out of hiding. He spoke to the press and announced, yeah, all this talk about uh, Sergio going to Ferrari, um, he signed a contract two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Our lineup is finalized. We have Sergio. We've got uh, Hulkenberg. We're good for next year. We're done. Potentially awesome silly season is starting to uh, shake out to be, uh, hey, we're just going to sign the drivers that we currently have Yeah, for another year so that we can just push off silly season for another year. So now we were also wondering this year whether or not we would be seeing uh, Alexander Rossi at Hungary 
or if we would see him down at Mid-Ohio or if maybe Mid-Ohio would be his last IndyCar race of the season before possibly having to step into his reserve role to finish out the season. Taking Rio's place because he only had a drive through Hungary. Rio Harianto has said that it appears that he will have funding to complete the season. Excellent. Um, It's not a completely done deal, um, but his manager and Rio both say that the deal is close to being in place, and they are quite confident that things will, quote, turn out well. Well, this is important to me because any greater chance of me meeting Alexander Rossi on the grid at Mid-Ohio is uh, important. So, Rio, stay in Formula One. I've never (laughs) been cheering more for you. Alrighty, I was kind of, you know, rooting for Alexander to make it back up, but that's the way you want to go. No, I want him to make it back up to Formula One. I just want him to be at Mid-Ohio. Oh, okay. I thought you were happier to see Max. I want to see Max, too, but it's really about both of them, quite frankly. Okay. They're, they're the F1 drivers. Yeah. I mean, so is Juan Pablo, but I don't really care. <laughs> wow. Well, he's not cute and young. I have standards. Okay. Hey, moving on. Do we have to? As we have talked about and alluded to a few times, this week... England! <laughs> <laughs> that is by far one of the best pieces of uh, Lewis Hamilton ever. Um, yes, it's the British Grand Prix at the sacred home of motorsport in England at the track where the first Grand Prix was ever held in 1950 at one of only two tracks that have ever had every single Grand Prix in the past, what is it, 65-year history? Well, it's. I think they said it was one of only two tracks or three tracks that have had 50 races. They're over 50, but they are one of only two that have participated in every season since the beginning. Silverstone has not. I thought they said that it had. Silverstone has not. There are, I think, two seasons where they were held either at Aintree or Brands Hatch. Mm. But Silverstone has not hosted it every year. Well, anyway... All of the drama of that this is the heart of motorsport. And by the way, just in case you didn't know or perhaps missed it the nine times it was said during the NBC Sports broadcast, Force India is directly across the street. As much as NBC says it a lot, BBC did it too. (laughs) BBC did it to the point, and they like to highlight it because of the fact that before they were Force India, they were Jordan Grand Prix owned by Eddie Jordan, and any time that they could throw Eddie over there when because they were going to Silverstone, they would. So, um, by the way, that wasn't the BBC. That was Channel 4. No, BBC used to do it for when they had the coverage, too. Okay. So shall we talk about some facts and, and other new information about the track? Yes. Okay. Let's look at an incomprehensible map of the race course, shall we? I can't make heads or tails out of it. You? Uh, no clue, but no doubt it'll be exciting. We could go through the corners of all of Silverstone on my necklace. <laughs> yes, we could. I'd be impressed if you got them all right. Uh, I would not. <laughs> I would not. 
Do you want me to start with the? Uh, f- what? Why don't you start like we like we normally do with the Williams facts, and okay. then I will go with the Renault facts. All right. Do you know that the highest point in Great Britain is the summit of Ben Nevis at thirteen hundred and forty-four meters? Is that just England or Great Britain? Great Britain. So shouldn't that also include um, Gibraltar? It should con- include Gibraltar. I'm just wondering if Gibraltar's higher. I don't know. Um, however, the lowest point is Home Fen in Cambridgeshire at 2.75 meters below sea level. Now, I know that you're really wondering how this plays into Silverstone. So Silverstone sits at 154 meters above sea level. Okay. So, you know, just so that you're aware. Now, the garages and motorhomes were packed down on Sunday from Austria and driven 1,600 uh, kilometers from Austria and rebuilt Wednesday in Silverstone. And I just got to say, even though we haven't seen them in person, we only see the pictures of them. It's still amazing when you see these structures, especially the the round McLaren structure mm-hmm. and the Red Bull Energy Station, which is like three blocks long. Oh, yeah. It's still amazing to think that these are motorhomes that get broken down and, and packed up into trucks and driven around. <laughs> it is quite amazing. The multiple floors. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think the Williams one has an elevator. I mean, it's... <laughs> now, the... Uh... 1979 British Grand Prix was the first win for Williams with Clay Regazzoni. 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 You you know who he is, who Clay Regazzoni is. Pray tell, tell me. Clay Regazzoni was Nicky Lauda's teammate for many years at Ferrari, including the infamous Hunt Lauda year. Oh. So when you watch Ron Howard's movie... Clay Regazzoni, you see, and it was in in that movie when they go to the party uh, where Nicky Lauda meets his future wife. Mm-hmm. It was Clay who took him there and got mad at him and locked him out of the 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 party. Oh, okay. They also celebrated their hundredth win at Silverstone in 1997 with Villeneuve. Shock Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. And 600 races in 2013. So Silverstone is a big deal to Williams. As I recall, even though that was a 600th race, and they put special markings on the car and everything, as we have seen with most milestone races, it wasn't a good one. Sadly. Now, this is important for people that have lead feet. Do you know that the first person that was convicted of speeding in Great Britain is Walter Arnold. I know that we all know him. Me and him, we go way back. He's of East Peckham, Kent. Oh, I know him. You should. As opposed to the guy from West Peckham. He's a jerk. Well, except for the fact that um, he's uh, probably long dead. No, well. He was fined one shilling for traveling eight miles per hour in a two-mile-per-hour zone. How did they clock that? In 1896. How do you clock that? <laughs> they, oh, wait. He's going faster than I can walk. You must be speeding. <laughs> Seriously. Stop or I'll stay. Stop again. 
Williams won the British Grand Prix six times from 1991 to 1997. Okay, so some Renault facts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, first, just some general stuff about Silverstone and, and the races there. There's a 52% chance of a safety car. There have been 24 wins from pole. Top speed recorded is 338 kilometers per hour. Average starting position for the winner is 2.47, with the lowest starting position being eighth. Mm. Renault, as a constructor, has had two victories. Okay. Some general facts about Silverstone from Renault. The first British Grand Prix very nearly had a different venue. In 1948, RAF Snetterfield near Stratford-upon-Avon in Warwickshire was one of two disused airfields considered for the British Grand Prix, but Silverstone was eventually chosen. Church's Shoes, which is based in Northampton, make 5,000 pairs of shoes a week, 70% of which are exported. The town is the center of the British shoemaking industry, and its football team is nicknamed the Cobblers. Interesting. Whittlebury Forest has many legends, including one about a beautiful lady who spurned her lover's affections to the point that he took his life. The revenge he sought was to chase her to death with his, with his hounds for eternity. And some people say they can hear a loud whoop as he incites his hounds. Interesting. Do you know when the first British driver won the first British Grand Prix? The first British driver won the British Grand Prix. I'm guessing it was either Jimmy Clark or Sterling Moss, which is probably late 50s, early 60s. 1955 and Sir Sterling Moss. Oh, I was pretty dang close. I got one more factoid from Williams, by the way. The street names around Silverstone Village carry the names of racing legends, including Graham Hill, Stuart Drive, and Brabham Close. Brabham Close. Brabham Close. Very cool. All right. Um, Lap record, 1 minute 30.874 seconds set by Fernando Alonso in 2010. And Renault in Great Britain, this is both as a constructor and an engine supplier. They've had 124 starts, Mm -hmm. 12 wins. So Red Bull got a lot for them. Yeah. Um, 28 podiums. 13 poles, 12 fastest laps, and 391 total points. Wow. So the race. The race. I, I got to say, and, and we watched the NBC Sports coverage because, well, let's face it, our UK partners and friends were slow on putting it up. Of course, they don't know that there are UK partners and friends. They should know that. We're depending on you people. <laughs> So we watched the NBC coverage, and NBC played musical channels again, which that was fun. It seemed to me, and and I don't think this is necessarily NBC's fault, but it seemed to me that the video that was aired and the way it was aired, it made everything feel kind of disjointed. It was like we, we would get almost up to some exciting bit, and then they would cut over and do something different. Like we'd get almost to a pass, and then we'd go look at a replay of somebody spinning off at turn one. And they'd show, the, as soon as they spin off and before they recover, they'd cut to another angle. Yeah. Or it was really, really weird. And 
a lot of times when there was some exciting stuff happening, it seemed like, well, let's go to the in-car. No, let's not go to the in-car. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Truly, to understand where things are on the grid and where things are on the track, you really need that that view from above, the some view that shows you what's happening, especially when they're sliding off the tracks. Yeah. The in-car doesn't tell you as much about that as it does at other times when you're looking for technique and did they turn the wheel or did they decide to, you know, ignore that apex and take a very, very wide line by just not turning. So I think one of the key things to mention is that the driver steward for this weekend. Yes, the Nigel main driver steward was Nigel Mansell. And Nigel He's apparently came, a hard ass. Yeah. <laughs> Nigel apparently came out and, and said that uh, he was going to be enforcing track limits rather strictly at like turn nine and one other location. It's Cops Corner in particular. Um, but yeah, it was the eight nine combination was particularly mm-hmm. impressive. Now, it was not, and it was interesting on the qualifying coverage from channel four that we watched they mentioned that you look at whether or not you gain an advantage by exceeding track limits because there's luffett's corner um that if you love fields if you exceed track limits there you lose time right so that was not one that nigel was watching Mm -hmm. but cope's corner that was the one watch it Stay in the turns. And I I truly applaud the stance that they took. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd like them to take it a bit more, but they... consistently. It would be nice if it was consistent. Yeah. Uh, But several drivers were impacted, and there was a bit of confusion going on between uh, Jensen Button thinking that maybe he did make it into Mm. Q2, but no, really, you didn't make it into Q2 um, because of what times were deleted and when and how um, Lewis ended up with getting his time deleted and had to go back and do it again and do it right and did it better and did it better and stayed within track limits and I mean rocketed to quality to pole position I mean excellent flawless lap but this was a busy weekend for Nigel yeah and the driver stewards We'll get to that in a second because let's first talk about the start of the race. The start of the race was not scintillating. Um, Okay, but there was some excitement. And because of the coverage that we watched, you didn't see the very early bit. So I'm going to get to walk you through the formation line. Yes. All of the cars arrived on the grid in slicks. Because when they did their formation laps, or, or their, their... They haven't done their formation lap. They showed up on slicks. It was dry. Reconnaissance laps. That's the what The reconnaissance it laps. They, it was dry. Mm-hmm. They show up for the formation lap. They line up on the grid. They are on slicks. They take the formation lap in slicks. No, they didn't do the formation lap. They, the, form, the formation lap happens um, before the start of the race. There was no formation lap. Remember, the formation lap is after they disconnect all the umbilicals and all that other fun stuff. They've already done the national anthem and all of those fun things. And then 
they do the formation lap. The guy runs behind the grid waving the flag, <laughs> and they, the lights go out and things start. But okay, that so didn't happen. Okay, so the reconnaissance here. laps they do all in slicks. It, it was they just, stop they, to do all of the umbilical cord stuff, and it, that's when it and poured. the skies opened up and in pretty in traditional British style, it didn't just rain. Buckets fell from the sky. It was a drenching downpour, where. You've seen the episode in Top Gun where Jeremy Clarkson had to shoot a hole you mean in Top the, Gear. Top Gear, Top Gear, where Jeremy Clarkson shots shoots a hole in the bottom of his vehicle. Yeah, the so Botswana it, special. Yes, so it drains. Yeah, I am per- very sure that there were holes, <laughs> plugs pulled to let the water out so that everybody was sitting in a squishy seat. I mean, uh, there wasn't anybody that <laughs> didn't have a wet butt. It was that rainy. They did shots of the crowd, and they're all huddled around their little trash bag yep. uh, ponchos. It was, in a word, to say it was miserable for fifteen minutes. It, I mean, it was just yuck. And I have to say, Will Buxton finding Max Verstappen huddled down <laughs> under the golf umbrella and hunching down underneath him was pretty impressive. But everybody is almost falling on his butt afterwards. Not so much. Not so much. Tripping over his mic wire. But at this point, all of their wet tires are in their pits. They're sending guys back across to go get your wets because you've got it. They had to change all the tires on the grids. Right. And they started under a safety car. But and and this is what I don't know. Mm -hmm. Were the tire because they bring these big carts out and. I think there's multiple sets of tires in there. W- were the wets in the... I thought they had to go get the wets. I don't know. I, I read the commentary from the Formula One app mm-hmm. at, during an early portion of the day because we had TV problems. Um, and the commentator made the comment that the teams were having to discuss because they didn't know whether they were going to be starting under a safety car, which would require full wets. Right. Or if they could get away with starting on enters. So there was a big question as to what they needed. The slicks were coming off the cars, but they didn't know what they were going to be putting on until they finally decide, yep, we're starting under a safety car and it's full wets. So then the first six laps, there's nobody change in position because we're under a safety car. But it was also, it was we, we haven't seen this before with a start under a safety car. The conditions were so bad that the safety car was struggling. Mm-hmm. And we saw a couple of times that uh, the, the safety car drifted around a, a, a turn as, as the rear end broke free. But it was going too slow for the Formula One cars behind it. Exactly. To the point that we had a really scary moment at one point with Lewis that it looked like he was going to hit the safety car. That probably would have been bad. Um, that would have been bad. And... Um, I wish they had done a replay of that because the commentator on F1 actually said it was the safety car that almost hit Lewis. Oh, really? Yeah. So I think that vantage point, because you only saw that on the yeah. coverage from the in-car in Lewis, mm-hmm. you have you don't know where everybody was in the, the mix. But multiple drivers were complaining the safety car couldn't go fast enough that the F1 car... And the wet tire can actually handle far more than the street car yeah. can handle in those conditions. 
And it was probably more dangerous to start under a safety car than it should have been. There were a lot of complaints about the safety car and the conditions of the track. A lot of folks, a lot of drivers said that, yeah, it would have been a little dicey at first without if they had started from the grid. But it wasn't that bad. And Mm -hmm. it would have been a matter of once they eyeball and know where the puddles are and where things are, they probably would have been fine and did not need the safety car. But you compare that to the other time that we started under a safety car over in Monaco, and we didn't have any of these issues. Right. But it was also, it's a completely different, it's a street circuit. The cars aren't going, don't need to be able to go as fast. And it was just a different experience. But the other thing to keep in mind about starting under a safety car it shakes up tire strategy. It shakes up a lot of different things. And there was no rain. It was no longer raining when it started. Right. It was just a wet track. And I'm not entirely sure that that was the right call to start under a safety car. I mean, they could have started under a virtual safety car um, they, to keep they, the grid from, you know, trying to explode. Yeah. And, you know, they could have done that. They could have done I'm one sure lap with a safety car. I'm not sure there's provisions to start under a virtual safety car. Um, a lot of drivers said that they felt that the safety car should have been in by lap three or four. I think it stayed out too long. I did love the fact that, you know, Charlie Whiting and, the, and race control monitors every radio message that comes through. Mm-hmm. And because they monitor that, the drivers know that they basically are talking to Charlie. Yeah, and any time that there's a safety car out there, they are. Whether it's weather, mm-hmm. whether it's um, uh, debris or whatever, they know that everything that they say is being heard by Charlie Whiting. Right. To the point that Lewis Hamilton was like, come on, Charlie, let's yeah. race. Um, but, I mean, they were frustrated, and the teams are asking for track conditions because that's going back to Charlie, too. Uh, and, you know, we can't get heat in the tires. We can't get heat in the tires because yeah. the safety car is too slow. Safety car was struggling around that. I mean, quite frankly, my inexperienced opinion was that they should have started under a safety car and the safety car come in at the end of that first lap. But you've also got to have you, – you got to wonder. And, and, again, us not being racing drivers, we don't have the same kind of perspective. What kind of impression does that give when you've got these super fast race cars behind your safety car that is supposed to be controlling the pace and controlling the speed, and that car is struggling for grip and and struggling to make it around the track safely? Well, I think that— And and I get that the tires can handle better conditions and and need the wind and all that to stay planted— but when your car that's supposed to be setting the safe speed is struggling to get that fa- – it, it doesn't necessarily give the impression of, well, release the cars and let them go. It gives the impression of conditions aren't safe yet. Well, I know that that's the impression it gives, but I think that you have to marry that with the fact that you're comparing a road car with a Formula One car. True. And because they are completely and utterly different – they handle those conditions differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that the the guy that the guy that's driving the safety car has driven the car for years and years and years. He's a phenomenal driver. He's a good driver. It's not him that was causing his back end to lose. It's the fact that a road car 
isn't on the same, they're not on the kind of tires that push that much water through them. Those are specially designed tires to push water away from those wheels. Specially designed for grip. Well, it's not just that. It's also, again, if you watch Top Gear, any of the Top Gears, Mm -hmm. what the, the safety car is in Formula One is it's an... SLS AMG, that that Gullwing Mercedes, right. which is Jeremy Clarkson has proven that it gets very t- quote unquote tail happy on wet surfaces. Right. You know that he they did uh, on their America special. Jeremy Clarkson was driving essentially that same car. They took it to a drag strip in the rain, and he couldn't get any traction. Right. So. <laughs> so in a way, I mean the safety car that is very good in the dry and can control the pace when they need to clean up the track, it's not the right car in the giant British puddles. Yeah. It doesn't go puddle stomping very well. So the safety car finally goes in. And all hell broke loose. Did it? No, No, not really. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Well, turn one, yeah, kind of did. Well, turn one for some reason was super slippy whatever that was going on where hell broke loose was that the first lap after the safety car went in about half the field dove in for tires yeah and i'm amazed the number of unsafe or tight releases was insane well that's the thing is there were no unsafe release calls made over that and some one of the video that we and i'm surprised we didn't get a replay of this was at one of those rounds of mass pit stops, Jolian Palmer at Renault came in, and they didn't properly affix one of his rear wheels, and he took off on three wheels. He had to be stopped and pushed back to the pits. There was a penalty for that. It was a drive-through penalty for um, an unsafe release. But the, what was it, three near collisions and the guy that almost got run down in the pits, none of those got unsafe releases? I, I don't know. I don't know. There's also a chance that they did or they got warnings or whatever, and we don't know about it because, well. But but typically when, when it comes to those kind of things, those penalties and stuff like that, that's not broadcaster dependent. That's the FIA puts that out there on the, both the timing and scoring and on the world feed. You see the, mm-hmm. the bug that comes up for that. And nobody mentioned any of that. So I don't think anybody got hit with unsafe release penalties. All I can say is that those were some of the tightest pit stops I've ever seen. That was crazy. But really impressive double stacking over at Mercedes and Haas. And there was somebody else, I think, that did a double stack pit stop as well. Mm -hmm. Executed them flawlessly. Absolutely Executed them flawlessly. Um, Really good race between Max Verstappen and Nico Rosberg. Max, I'll tell you, he's really, really good at holding off folks trying to run him down. Oh, yeah. He defends those corners very, very well. And You know, Nico was complaining that, that Max, there, there was too much movement on Max's part from what we could see of the video. That's the key thing. You know, we, we didn't get all the angles, and the world feed was a little dicey this this time around. I don't think that Nico got close enough 
during any of the time that he was mm-hmm. complaining about Max's movement. But that's Nico's move. Nico doesn't get close enough and then complains about the other guy. Well, yeah. He's done that a hundred times yeah, to Yeah, I know. He did that to Lewis last year in, in Hungary, and Lewis said if he wants to get close, let him get close, and then he can pass. If he wants to pass, he needs to be closer. I'm yeah. not slowing down for him. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. Okay, so the top five of the race, when the race actually ended, are you jumping through any of the people that crashed out? or? I, I wasn't really. There, there were a lot of fairly dramatic spins and some drivers that went for really long rides. Yes. Um, Rio Harianto <laughs> in particular, and wow. Um, but fast forward to the last couple of laps of the race and – some odd radio messages. Truly odd radio messages. So in past, because we've talked about this stupid radio ban multiple times, in the past, what was it? Just last race or the race before that? It was Baku. Lewis, Baku. Lewis was in a wrong engine mode, was having trouble figuring out how to mm-hmm. get his engine out. He asked his team. His team even radioed back and said, can't tell you. And told Nico the same thing. Yep, you, you're sorry. We can't tell you. You're gonna have to figure it out. Yep. This time around, and it seemed like the team radioed to Nico that he had to skip seventh gear. Well, what happened was, and let me see if I can find it. Six laps from the end, um, Nico was six seconds behind uh, Lewis, and Nico informed the team. The team didn't inform him. Nico informed the team of a gearbox problem. Um, Nico was losing pace. He had uh, Verstappen closing in. So Mercedes informed him to attempt a different setting before suggesting that he avoid seventh gear. Rosberg then asked for clarification as to whether he should shift through it, to which he received an immediate response, yes, shift to eighth quickly. As a result of this, the team came under investigation and Nico got a 10-second penalty added for a violation of Article 27.1 of the sporting regulation, specifically that the driver shall drive the car alone and unaided. Now, Toto Wolf came forward and said, and he's already said that um, they are appealing this call. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Toto came forward and uh, cited to point two of a technical directive that uh, – permitted radio messages referring to an indication of a critical problem with the car. He said, in addition, it reads, any message of this source may be used if failure of a component or system is imminent and potentially terminal. And Toto said, in my opinion, that was the basis of our decision. And the argument that they have, and Nico said the same thing, that if he wasn't warned and told of the situation, the car would have gotten stuck in seventh gear, and as they hit those low-speed corners, as one of the replays showed, the car would have bogged down and ultimately stalled, and if it stalled, that would have been the end of his race, Mm -hmm. i.e. the terminal piece. Right. So that's the argument. The stewards felt otherwise, hit him with a 10-second penalty, which gave second place to Max... And put Nico in third place. Because Max's teammate, who was in fourth, was 26 seconds behind the leader. Yeah. He was quite a distance back. You, you got to wonder what's happening there with, with 
Daniel. Mm-hmm. I, I do wonder. I mean, he's he's got it now. We're looking over his shoulder. This is the first time since Max came up that he was out-qualified by Max. Yep. And Max has gotten two podiums, and Daniel's gotten a lot of fourths. Yeah. Um, now, on the news for the world championship, mm-hmm. we should mention that it is now a one-point race between Nico and Lewis. Going into Hungary, where Lewis has traditionally, it, it's a strong circuit for him. Yeah. Um, you know, we said that last year, and it was one of his worst races of the season. I know, so don't say it too loudly. Yeah. But could be interesting. But again, he's used up all of his engines. That's the biggest problem, is that he's used up all of his engines. So you got to wonder, knowing that this is a track that Lewis likes and that he traditionally does well at, do you turn around and take the engine penalty now, put in a new engine, run it for two races, then you're going to get to your mid-season break, at which point I'm guessing once they get through the the freeze, because there's, what, two weeks in there? 14 days. That they are not allowed to touch the cars at all. The factories have to be completely closed. Once they get through those 14 days... You go on a crash rebuild of the engine to make sure that it, it can go another six, seven races. Wow. And hopefully he's built up enough of a buffer that he can survive. Here's the deal. He is 10 races in to the season. He just completed mm-hmm. his 10th race. This is a 21-race season. Yep. The likelihood that he will not ha- only have to take one, but two grid penalties is pretty high. Yeah. So put that in the the numbers. Now, I don't know where Nico is in his engine count. Nico, I think, has only had one. Mm. Yeah, N- Nico is not in the danger that no Mercedes driver for any Mercedes-powered team is in the jeopardy that Lewis is in when it comes to his engine usage. Yeah. That's going to be a rough one. That really is going to be rough. Yeah. Because currently he's not running far enough ahead. It's not like last year where he had the the championship so sewn up that he could have sucked up an engine fail, an engine grid penalty. You know what needs to happen? He needs to get a new engine and then take Nico out so neither one of them finish the race? No, it needs to be the other way around. He needs to get a new engine, and Nico needs to test the rules for Mercedes with regarding suspensions. <laughs> That's how that should <laughs> Yeah, I can guarantee you that if Nico touches Lewis again— and gets a suspension that that's going to be the race that Lewis gets an engine. No, I think that the real question coming out of this, from what we have seen with Nico, Nico gets yelled at, he backs off. Mm-hmm. What if we have a repeat of Montreal or Texas where it's Lewis doing the pushing? Mm-hmm. If Lewis is initiating and instigating the contact, how will Mercedes respond? I don't know. We'll I think that's f- what's going to be interesting. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. 
But Hungary is up next. Hungary? Hungary. 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 I don't know. It sounds like you're asking for dinner here. But <laughs> <laughs> on that note, you know, let us know your opinions on the Mercedes situation and how the naughty step should possibly be outfitted for the boys, uh, <laughs> either on Facebook or over on the, on our website at uh, www.theblokeandabird.com. Remember, you can catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, and in the Google Play Music Store. Woo! And on that, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. <laughs>